She speaks to people everywhere on the subject of abortion. But what's a little bit different is that my guest today had an abortion, more than one in fact, and brings a very interesting and much needed perspective to this entire discussion. She's Diane Wagner, I'm John Bradshaw, and this is Our Conversation. Diane, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. I am glad to have you here. Tell me a little bit about you, where you're from, or where you sprang from. Oh, from the beginning? Yeah, from the well, beginning. Well, I was born in Atlanta, and um, we I, I always call Orlando home. That's uh-huh. where I grew up. But then we moved to Southern California, around Loma Linda, and uh, that's where I met my husband. Uh-huh. But it was to be many years before we were married. And then... Um, Yes, in the back to the south, we've lived in North Carolina for about 33 years. Mm-hmm. So. so you're with Mafkia Ministries, a mm-hmm. ministry that focuses on abortion. Any mm-hmm. ministry, any Christian ministry that focuses on abortion is dealing with abortion prevention, abortion education. We want to stop abortion. Mm-hmm. You come at it from a slightly different angle. You had abortions mm-hmm. uh, when you were... Mid-20s. Mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. First, before we talk about your experience with that, I think we should state the obvious. Women who've had abortions Mm -hmm. are typically forgotten in the abortion, I'm going to call it discussion, or even the debate. Um, The women who've had abortions are the enemy. They're the (laughs) bad ones. They've killed babies, and so we don't like them. We can both understand why people would say that. You can, I'll ask you about it in a moment. You, you've had first-hand experience with that. But if we, just, if we just take that line of thinking, we're forgetting some things, aren't we? Mm-hmm. What are we forgetting? Well, I think, you know, so much value is put on the unborn. And yes, there's value in the unborn. Oh, yeah. But that mother, when, how you treat that mother who is in a crisis is going to determine whether or not she has a second or a third or fourth an abortion, how you value her, and she's in a position where she looks at herself the way you look at her as a failure and a reproach. Um, you're you're basically setting her up to make that decision again and again and again. We mustn't forget that the people who make mistakes uh, are still souls for whom Jesus died. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 if we merely castigate mm-hmm. the woman who terminated a pregnancy. We're forgetting that Jesus died for her. We're That's forgetting right. that eternity awaits her. We're forgetting that she has value. It's such an emotional thing, this whole subject. It's really easy to do. Yeah. You had an abortion. You're the devil. That was easy to say. That was easy to say. It was a little unfair, I think. It was easy to say. But we forget so much. What, what about what that woman yeah. went through? It, it's a, it's a, well, to give you an example, I had a friend once, very dear friend, um, and he, he made it clear that he thought all the women who had ever had abortions should be lined up and shot. Well, and he, did he know? Oh, he had no clue that I had been through two abortions. And it really made me sad because um, how would I ever trust that person if I needed help? You know, the way we relate to other people who might have made mistakes, terrible mistakes, 
um, is going to determine whether or not we would ever go to that person. But who else would you say that about? <clears throat> Do you say anyone who's ever murdered someone should be lined up and shot? I've never heard that. You, you hear terrible things said about rapists and so forth, but mm-hmm. no one ever says anyone who stole a loaf of bread should be lined up and shot. In our minds, there's a hierarchy of sin. Mm-hmm. Child abuse is probably at the very tip top. Abortion somewhere way up there. And again, I'm going to say this. We can understand why people would, would formulate these, these thoughts in their mind, but sin is sin. Mistakes are mistakes, mm-hmm. and everyone is someone for whom Jesus died. So I think, in fact, I know, it's time, I think, for people who care about this subject to treat the women who had abortions with love and respect. What I just said just challenged a whole bunch of people. But I'm glad because if your Christianity only goes so far as to care for the unborn, it doesn't go far enough. No. You remind me of the story when the the Pharisees drug out the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they all wanted so bad for Jesus to condemn her. And... um, I just love the way he responded to this woman because so many times, I mean, in so many ways, I relate to that woman. He uh, he just said, you're forgiven, go and sin no more. You know, he didn't, you know, the Lord, I love John 3.16, but so many times we just memorize that. But we uh, don't John 3.17, fantastic verse, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Absolutely, and if we cannot offer hope and a salvation and redemption is another word and restoration then we need to we really need to do a self-examination of our own spiritual experience i'm going to ask you a question so in emphasizing compassion for the women mm-hmm. are we just easing up on the abortion thing are we giving them a free pass are we going too light on them you know the question I'm I, asking. I think I know. Are, what are you're you just? Are you just? Mm-hmm. Is this part of you saying, "Hey, go easy on me. Go easy on these girls"? Are we are we overlooking the enormity of the tragedy of abortion by doing this? That's a good question, and I this is my experience. Um, and leading up to this experience is you know quite a bit of a story. But when I finally hit the wall, where I was desperate. And my marriage was a wreck. I was a wreck. I had just no control of myself. And it stemmed from the self-loathing that came from what I had done. Mm -hmm. Well, I went to a woman. uh, uh, My sister suggested a friend of hers. And um, first of all, this woman was very caring, very honest, non-condemning, totally open. And I trusted her. I shared my abortion stories with her which I was really, really shy of people, you know, that were, and at that time I looked at it as opinionated, you know, as far as abortion and cruel. But when I told her my stories, she took it very serious. But in that moment, I felt something. She became my advocate. She didn't condone the sin or excuse the sin. She told me, Diane, that's a sin that you need to take care of. That sin that Satan is trying to cripple you and the rest of your life because of that, you know, what you've chosen to do. And um, I love that because she wasn't afraid to call sin, sin, but she wasn't condemning me. She was offering hope. Well, that's what Jesus does, right? Absolutely. But 
that's maybe that's something we need to learn more from Jesus is how to confront someone with something they've done wrong, but do it in such a way that you feel like they're your advocate. They're looking out for you. They're not just letting you know that you've fallen short. Now, here's the thing. You've had a couple of abortions, and most people listening to our conversation right now will assume that when you had your abortions, you were a wild (laughs) party girl, maybe an atheist or a heathen of some kind. You were a Christian. You know, I was, and I'm glad you brought this up because being in the ministry, I've done a lot of research, and now I just have experience. You know, um, 69% of the girls who have abortions claim to be Christians. I was a Christian. I I wanted a Christian marriage. I, I was marrying a Christian man, and I just had all these ideals, and, um, I messed up. My husband and I were only intimate one time, but that didn't matter. In my eyes, I had failed. So, so you were looking forward to get married. Why do you have an abortion? You could have simply, you were going to get married anyway. You just got a head start. It would have been relatively easy. I know we're looking at just a few years ago. It wasn't the 2020s at the time. But what led you to have an abortion? Fear. I, I, I have to, t- it was fear, it was absolutely crippling. I was so afraid of how I would be looked at and by how who? I would, by the who? church. By the church? Yeah, the church, which is really sad. Um, you know, we've got Christian universities throughout this country, and um, one in particular, they came to the campus and they said, a Christian college, they came to the campus and said, we need a clinic on your your campus because most of our clients are coming from your university. Another story, um, uh, the local abortion clinic came to the Christian university and said, we just thought you might appreciate this. The biggest reason why our girls are having abortions is because they're afraid of how their school would treat them, how their school would deal with them. And, And they were addressing this university you know, as you need to reevaluate how you're looking at these girls. So, so let me ask you about that. <clears throat> I want to come back and talk about the emotions that you were going through and, mm-hmm. and all of that. But, but first, this is a whale of a balancing act, right? Premarital sex is a sin. It's wrong. It's unhealthy. It's dumb. It's destructive. And that's the message that in some kind of gracious way the church has to transmit. We don't stand for this here we don't like this. It's not the Bible way, and so on, so on, so on. So, so we transmit that message to a greater or lesser extent. And then a young girl, or maybe less young, gets pregnant and is really fearful of the way the church is going to look at that. Mm-hmm. So, so the church has got to figure out a way to say, this is God's will, yet should you fall short of the will of God, we're still going to love you. How do we do that? Well, I go back to the story. The woman, she was not afraid to call sin a sin. She was not afraid to tell me that I needed to repent of that sin. sin. And, and, and again, she became my advocate. And who better than Jesus to become our advocate? Oh, yeah. So as a school, we need to consider that. I'll give you a story. There was a young girl. Now, this was in high school, a, a Christian high school. It was an academy. And she became pregnant. And they dismissed her. The young man that got her pregnant 
was able to stay in school and graduate. Right. What is that telling that young lady? Well, it's so sad. Yeah, very clearly. So that, that, that gave me, I really, really looked into that, and I had to look at all the dynamics. You know, she was in the dorm. She was around other girls. You know, what about the attitude? There's so many things you have to look at. But to just write her off, and, I, well, I thought at the time how nice it would have been if they could have said, Let's do it by correspondence. Oh, sure. We've set a standard. We, you know, we cannot have you on campus with other young girls, you know, and especially if you you know, have concerns about where her spiritual thought process is at the time. But to just write her off yeah. is damaging. But to give her an outstretched hand and say, would you be willing to do it correspondence? We don't want to just throw you out or yeah. fail you, but we do want to offer you. See, I asked you a question a moment ago, how do we find that balance? And I don't, I don't know whether we can provide the right answer here in the short time that we have, mm-hmm. but the answer is twofold. A, you can find the balance, and B, you must find the balance, right? You must. <clears throat> where, are you, where are those people who condemned you? And she said, uh, well, they're not here. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now, he also said, go and sin no more. He didn't say what you did was okay. It wasn't, and everybody knew, everybody knew. Right. And with abortion, it's one of those things. It's here to stay. It isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Women are going to have abortions anyway. There'll be men who encourage them to do so. Mm-hmm. There'll be medical providers who are just only too happy to provide the service, and it's going to be in a church near you, and you've got to figure out how to deal with it as Jesus would have dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair to say, and I think it ought to be said, Diane, there are many congregations who would be just, just fine in, in dealing with this in a Christ-like way. Oh, I, I know the congregation somewhere near me where a young lady was pregnant out of wedlock, and all the congregation did was love her and treat her like family because, yeah. and in doing that, you're not telling the girl what you did was okay. You're not. She knows. The family told her already. The Spirit of God told her already. The devil told her already how wretched she was. She knows. So we can, can't we, love the sinner while not approving of the sin? Absolutely. And, and if we're not at that point, then we have to... Do self-reflection. Absolutely. It's on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to you. So mm-hmm. you're in your early to mid-20s. It wouldn't have been socially inappropriate. Well, it might have been socially in some circles. Wouldn't have been unheard of for you to have a child out of wedlock and, and, and then maybe stick with this guy. So, so you said fear. Talk to me about what you were experiencing and how you were processing your thoughts. And then, don't go too far, then we're going to talk about you stepping across this threshold to abortion. That's a whale of a step. First, your thoughts, your processes. Well, to, do, to appreciate that, I, I guess I have to, you know, I was brought up in a church. Mm-hmm. I was brought up in church schools and the youth groups and through high school. It was private and we did the band. So I have been brought up very much involved in the church. You know, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 15 you know, I wanted to live for the Lord. The, the, a crippling event that happened in my life was when my mother and father divorced. How my mother was treated by the church was heartbreaking. And, and divorce at that time was just, they, they were so critical and mean to her. 
and it made a lasting impression on me. In fact, I had to, I'd backed away for a while and had to ask questions. You know, I felt like I had just been living in this protective bubble as far as, um, you know, my enchanted little Christian life where everything was wonderful. You know, now the cruel reality kicked in. Right. Because of that experience and the cruelty that I saw my mother go through, when the time came that I found myself pregnant, all of that came back up. That cruelty, that judgmental. They're going to turn on me. And I just, I just did not trust my church. I did not trust my church. In fact, I look back at it now, and it's sad that there wasn't even an individual that I could have called and reached out to, because um, I was fear and panic puts you on another level. You know, if I had been thinking straight, maybe I would have thought of somebody. But when you're in that kind of panic. Yeah, it's just, it's a very bleak, black place to be. I want to say something that I hope will be heard with balance. But man, the church has got a lot to answer for, right? The damage we've done, the people we've hurt in the name of Jesus, the people we've criticized. I'm not against pulling someone aside and saying, hey, I love you, but that's not God's will, or we love you, but... We can't have that, and we're going to have to figure out a way to work this through. There are gracious ways of of dealing with the erring. Mm -hmm. But over the years, and I don't say this to be critical, it's just to speak to the obvious. And so many people are saying, oh, brother, you don't know the half of it. But we've hurt and wounded people. I don't mean people who've taken offense. That's a horse of a different color. I don't mean people who get their nose out of joint. That's a different right. But, you know, some little some kid in school, you boot them out without showing any mercy. Sometimes you boot them out with showing mercy. That's good. I'm all for that. Um, but those who have moral falls, wrong is wrong. You don't have to say wrong is right. Mm-hmm. But we've got to figure out how to deal with people in a redemptive way. Absolutely. Okay, so you were... You came to the point, you said, man, I, I, the only thing for me to do is have an abortion. Yeah, hide it. Yeah. Get rid of it. That's, that's exactly right. And I was terrified. I was afraid. I, the first um, experience I had, I, I was traveling as a traveling nurse at the time. And the hospital where I was working at required a lot of x-rays. And so I'd had a whole series of x-rays on my back. And when the tech asked me, you know, is there any chance you could be pregnant? I just said no, which, you know, just piled the shame up later because I knew there was. But when I was in that place, I remember calling three or four physicians in the area where I was working and asked them, if I were your wife, what would you want me to do? And every one of them said, abort, abort. I wouldn't want my wife to keep the pregnancy. And, you know, I look at it now and and all the pain and all the just tough tough times because of that decision if just one of those physicians had said Diane wait let's get together we need to talk before you make that decision you know if just one and i look and i think it might have made all the difference in the world for my life and my future but um they didn't and we could be that one person you know, that if someone came to us and said, I don't see any other way. Abortion's the only way. Wait. 
That's why I encourage people to support their uh, local pregnancy crisis centers because they, um, I volunteer with one, and, and they do so much good. I'm just really, really pleased with the work that they've done. And there was a time when I never would have said that because I was afraid of pro-life people you know, from experiences that I had been through. Because I want to ask you about some of those experiences, and I'll do that in just a moment. Your ministry is very, very important. Your perspective is desperately needed. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you are part of our conversation. Uh, I'll be back with more in just a moment. I'm John Bradshaw. My guest is Diane Wagner from Mafkia Ministries. This is Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. What does the Bible say about astrology? Why do bad things happen to good people? What color is Jesus? If you have a question, we'd love to find an answer for you from the Bible. Line up online from It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Diane Wagner from Mafkia Ministries. And abortion, well, how, would you, how would you describe the ministry? Put it in six or eight words. It exists to? Well, not only to, to educate the, the um, value of life, the unborn, but to also educate the value of the, the mother yeah. and the father. Um, Antoinette, when I met Antoinette, she made a, such a huge difference in my life because she was pro-life, but she had such compassion for all life. It wasn't just the unborn. It was life, mama's life, everyone's life. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you this. Go back with me to the time before your first abortion. Mm-hmm. You've made a decision. Uh, there may have been a decision in consultation with somebody else. I know, but you made a decision. What did you do? Did you make a phone call? Did you just show up at, a, at, a, at an abortion clinic? What did you do? Oh, I remember that very well. I called the clinic, and they um, told me how much it would cost and how far along I had to be, and I made the appointment. I uh, called my husband-to-be, and... He flew up there. I don't remember a word he said when I told him, but he flew there to be with me, and he paid for it. And um, he was there. He went with me. And I remember before the procedure, they wanted me to uh, go to a counselor, and she was very sympathetic, but she wasn't a Christian. And uh, she reassured me at the time that it was just a tiny fuzzball, that I didn't have a thing to worry about. And, you know, I think about that, and having been a nurse, I knew it wasn't a tiny fuzzball. But panic messes with your mind. You know, to tell you a quick story, my family, my children, when I finally had them, I used to always tell them panic kills because we did a lot of canoe camping Uh, and a lot of water, and I just didn't want anybody getting hurt. And um, when, when you panic, you don't think straight. And, uh, well, I used to work in a burn unit, and we would get patients flown in that were badly burned. And there were times when that patient, instead of running away from a fire, 
panicked and ran into the fire. And when I got pregnant, I ran into the fire. I panicked. So um, I went to the counselor and then had the procedure, and it was a nightmare. I didn't have any anesthesia. I didn't even think about anesthesia. And, um, but you wanted this. Yeah. And you knew that this was the, the solution to all your problems. And, and it was a nightmare. It wasn't like, oh, whew, thank God that's over with and I'm, I'm out of there and I've, I've got what I wanted and whew, everything's better now. That wasn't your response? Well, immediately you do see, uh, feel a relief because, yeah. you know, but then the reality kicks in. What's the reality? What was your reality? What was done? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, um, you can't undo what you did. You know, there's no way of making it right as far as a child has been lost yeah. and you're responsible for that loss. So even though immediately you may have the reliefs or the relief of knowing that you don't have anything to hide anymore, on the inside, it, it's uh, crippling. It is so painful. And that's why, well, i t- tell you another story. I uh, was at a church once with some friends. They, I worked with them at work, and they invited my husband and I. And the pastor, that day, he was speaking on abortion. And he was real animated, Bible-thumping, and loud. And he declared from the pulpit that God would not and could not forgive a woman who'd had an abortion. Oh, but that's madness. That's not even a Christian well, belief. No Christian believes that. That's why, the, well, you'd think... But that it's a very you know it's a very emotional That's subject. Thing. Yeah, it's like very, I said before, you can understand why people say what they it, say because, because it's, it's emotional, so emotive. Yeah, and even though he recanted, you know he he realized what he'd said, and he recanted to me who was crippled, sitting in the congregation, it just confirmed the failure. Yeah, and I think I, this is why the Lord says, "Lean not upon your own understanding." He wants us to keep our eyes on him. That's right. It did not change my value in the Lord's eyes at all because I'd made that decision. He hurt sure. for me and he hurt for the consequences, but it didn't change my value in his eyes. He's so focused. But um yeah, it it it, it was a quick solution, but it was uh you know, it was it created a larger than life problem for me that would last for many, many years. We'll talk about that. You you said you've talked about how this was this was crippling. Yeah. Okay. For you, or for how many? So f- this isn't scientifically done, except for the fact that you've had a lot of experience with this in in your ministry and counselling and so forth. Very ten females who has an abortion, and I'm sorry to ask you to speak for them, but I'm going to ask you to speak mm-hmm. for them. In your experience, how many of the ten find this, the aftermath, really difficult? Not difficult, really difficult. How many of the ten? What would your thinking be? Because I'm certain there are some women who have an abortion. It's just the happiest thing in their life. They never give it another thought. But I don't think every woman feels that way. No, we, we've had story after story after story. Give me your number. Give oh. me your number. It's unfair for me to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you this. Well, what, hundreds. What do you think? It's, it's, no, but out of every, for every 10 females who have an abortion. I would say, mm, I want to say 10. Hard? I want to say 10. Okay. And I'll, the reason I'll tell you this, I heard this said once, and it made such an impact on me. When we are 
when we come to a place that we realize our value in the eyes of the Lord and we um, are converted, we realize this is our Savior and we realize our value, it's going to make an impact on the value of the unborn child that we sure. had aborted. So there may come a, be a time in the, the woman's life where it's, yes, that was the best thing I could have ever done. I, I have no regrets. But it is my belief that as that woman, if that woman comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ and her heart is melted, broken and melted by his love for her and his commitment to her, that as she realizes her value to God, she will realize the value of her child that she took the life of. A child that God loved while it was being formed in the womb you know, God had more of an intimate relationship with this child than she ever did. Mm. It was just a panic. So the reason I say 10 is because they may not be there yet, but if they're brought to a relationship with Jesus and they realize the value of the child they aborted, they will come to the point where they will say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I believe that. So, so given the right circumstances... 10 out of every 10, but absent of those circumstances, still, in your opinion, many, many women really struggle with this. Oh, absolutely. So isn't this I've only met one in all my years that, that, have, yeah, that has said she did the right thing. So isn't this then a lie being told by the pro, whatever you want to call it, movement, the pro-abortion movement? Mm. This will be the end of all your troubles. You really need to do this. It's just the best thing. That's just not true, is it? It's not true. It's not true. You know, it's really interesting because a a lot of the advocates of abortion um, have said a woman that has a problem after her abortion was unstable before the uh, abortion, and that's why she... That's a destructive thing to say. That's why she was having a problem. She wasn't, you know, if she wasn't emotionally stable... Prior to the abortion, wow. that's why she's had the problem after abortion. They're what just, what you a know, manipulative thing to say. Right, but if you've got a problem with this later on, it's because you're, you're, right, you're, you're, right. you're messed up. And, um, but it's really interesting because, you know, after the Roe v. Wade, when abortion was legal throughout, about a year after that, women started sharing their stories with each other because they weren't feeling like they had been told they would feel. It didn't go away. And the first um, organization was called Women Exploited by Abortion, WEBA. And um, it, it, it started validating this trauma that they had been through mm-hmm. because they, it was being recognized and acknowledged, and they were realizing this. And within one year, WEBA had um, organizations in every state because women were not feeling okay, like you were just saying. Right. Something was wrong. And um, Let me ask you this question. You had two abortions. Yeah. You've, you've called it a sin. You've talked about the trauma. Someone is wanting me to ask you, I just feel this in my bones, how you've come to the place. You can very easily and freely speak about this. I fear that someone's listening to you now and saying, she doesn't even care, or it's like water off a duck's back, or something like that. I know that to be not true. How did you get to the place 
Well, you can freely, I say freely, I don't mean callously. No. That didn't happen overnight. How did you get to the place where you were courageous enough to speak on camera, to to speak before audiences, to be a guest speaker? How do you get from this crushed individual who feels broken in two because of what she's been through to now being able to speak in a very self-possessed, um, easy manner on an extraordinarily delicate subject. I know. I've even said that before, before people, you know, here I am standing, smiling, happier than I ever knew I could be, yet I'm talking to you, you know, about the most painful event in my life. Right. Well, you know, I had the experience where I met with a lady and I confessed that sin of abortion. And I know the Lord forgave me. But through the years, I still had an emptiness. And it was a long time before I fully addressed the consequences of that sin. You know, we can have a sin and we can confess that sin and know that the Lord has forgiven us of that sin, but often sins come with consequences. And it was years before I was to fully, fully appreciate that. It was after I met Antoinette, and um, she had all this joy and was not condemning and just such a blessing to me. And I need to point out, Antoinette is your partner in ministry. And she's the founder of Mafkia, actually. And so from there, I started doing research because I knew I'd been forgiven, but I was still miserable. In fact, we've had women ask us, if I'm forgiven, why do I still feel so miserable? Yeah, like we get asked that question all the time by people wrestling with right. and it, events and in their life. Often it's just dealing with the consequences. Yeah. In my case, I did some research. I found an organization, Rachel's Vineyard, and um, went down the list of how other women who have been through this, how they have felt. You know, Christian women, they were Christian when they had it. They taught, you know, Sunday school or, you know, just different things. And um, I, I just got really, really, really focused on wanting what they had because they had been through it, heartbreaking story, and now they were happy. Yeah. I mean, completely happy. And I wanted that. I was ready to lay everything down before the Lord and say, Lord, I want what they have. So I... Um, went to a retreat and there is where I learned for me my experience I I embraced what I had lost you know it's hard to grieve over something that you feel responsible for sure I was responsible for the death of my babies so how could I allow myself to grieve over that loss and um, what, what what right did you have to grieve? Exactly. Even though I'd been forgiven, I still had that. And um, so by acknowledging what I had lost, my babies, you know, I named them. I wrote letters. I dedicated them to the Lord. And um, by dedicating them to the Lord, and I was given an opportunity to do this at this retreat. And... Um, but by dedicating them, I was trusting the Lord with them. They were real. They were a part of me. Yes. They weren't just some picture on a book. They had been a part of me, you know, my baby. And then, and then writing the letter and, and sharing your regret, you know, for what you had done through a letter to this child. 
It, you know, I uh, believe my babies are sleeping, and I'll see them again. I have no doubt of that. But writing that letter was really good to um, just deal with my heartbreak and my emotions, somewhere I had not allowed myself to go. So grieving, and then there was a memorial where we read our letters, and it all had to do with acknowledging what had been lost and then allowing myself to grieve. And it is amazing how... It's, it's like this. It's an unresolved issue. And if there is an unresolved issue, it's going to surface one way or the other. And this was something that I had never um, dealt with or even knew to dealt with, deal with. And these people were wise enough to know that this is something you can't leave forgotten back there. So um, that is why when I left there... I, I began to fully understand not just the Lord's forgiveness, but his redemption and his restoration. You know, he's all into recreating us That's right. into the children he wants us to be. And um, That's why I'd like to challenge people to, to reconsider their attitudes. Not to make abortion okay, it isn't. But, but, but we, we love... We love telling the story about the man who got out of prison after having done 15 years for manslaughter. Oh, how wonderful. He's a Christian now. We love to tell those stories. But typically, that kind of grace isn't shown Mm -hmm. towards people who've had abortions, which is pretty inconsistent and rather unchristian. When you got into ministry, did you have any fear? We don't have have a moment before we go to the break, but... Did you have any fear? Do you think, well, I'm going to stand up in front of people and people are going to hate me and I'm going to be a villain? Did you have that? The first time I shared my story, after I did it, I told Antoinette, Antoinette I said, well, I'll never do that again. Wow. And then how many times? You know, I just thought, okay. But the Lord just has opened up doors and opened And we see people now that we've met years ago who are all smiles, where the first time we met them, they were just broken. Mm. Just broken. You know, so um, I'm just very thankful. You, you've seen how your ministry has impacted mm-hmm. women and men, presumably, yes. and helped them yeah. turn their lives around. Absolutely. In a minute, I'd like to ask you about the men, mm-hmm. the men who are affected by this, what some of these guys process. And you've had some fascinating experiences with pro-life people. And I want to ask you about that as well. Thanks for being part of this with Diane Wagner. I'm John Bradshaw. More from our conversation in just a moment. Brought to you by It Is Written. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, And even here, see for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. 
Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Diane Wagner from Mafkia Ministries. Diane, you mentioned two abortions. After the first one, it was rough. Why, after going through all that anguish and turmoil, did you have a second abortion? Very easily answered. I was convinced I was no good. You know, the definition of shame, well, I always think of shame as the way we look at ourselves, what we think of ourselves, a reproach, a failure, and um, the devil would like nothing more than for us to just stay in that place. Mm -hmm. That's where I was when I got pregnant the second time. I was married. I had no reason to hide, but I was convinced I was a failure and I could not be a fit mother. That was it. I, I I was just so convinced I was, I could never be a fit mother. That I went, and I didn't have the fear and the crying and and all the other from the time before. I just went in there, I set my jaw, and I went through with it. In terms of an experience, having an abortion, um, I've got to ask the question in a way that sounds sensible. Uh, Not a pleasant experience. Mm -mm. No. How unpleasant an experience is it? How does it leave you feel? Just just the, the act of going through that surgery? How did it leave you feel? Well, a part of me died. Not just my baby. There was literally a death. Yes. But a part of myself died and a part of my identity. It's like I think of it this way, you know, that my baby was mercilessly taken from my, my womb, the security of my womb, and my identity, who I was, was being stripped from my soul. And you perform, you uh, begin this existence where you just perform. You know, you just exist. But there's, there's, um, you're damaged. So it was really a difficult experience for you to go through. It was, well, at the time, I was just going through it, just to get it over with, that, you know. But um, afterwards, you can't run away from something you've done. You know, like I said earlier, you can't undo it. Yeah. It's a part of you for the rest of your life. It's just um, the paradigm you live in, you know, how you view yourself, your own understanding. We talked earlier about how you sort of processed that and got to a place of better health, uh, really emotionally and, and, and spiritually. How, how difficult was it for you to believe that God forgave you? You know, I've told you the night when I was at my friend's house, well, something I haven't shared with you is I am um, leading up into that time, you know, and I told you my marriage was in shambles. I had such self-hatred that, you know, there were nights when I would just sit on the toilet and run a razor up the inside of my arm just because the pain that I was going through and the self-hatred was so intense that I just felt like I needed to feel pain to feel alive. And, and I believe self-punishment. One night I cut all my hair off. I had long hair, <laughs> but I cut it off really short, shorter than now, if you can believe oh, it. Wow, that was short. And it was like there was to be nothing lovely about me. And, um, you know, when, when we uh, sin and we, and we don't deal with it, it, it eats at us and it, it um, digs a hole that we try to fill with other things. We try to ignore it, and we just stuff the pain. Well, I started, um, after my first 
abortion. And then after the second one, it was very intense, um, the eating disorder, bulimia. Mm. And I would just stuff food, stuff food down my throat till I couldn't even swallow. And then it would all come back. And it would be like a purge. It is a purge. And, um, you know, at the time, I didn't even know where or how to get help. But um, it was like I needed a spiritual purge. I needed the peace of knowing that the Lord would take all of that. The reason I'm bringing this story up is the night after I went to the friend's house and I confessed and repented of my sins of abortion, and I felt like the Lord had forgiven me. I felt like the Lord had forgiven me. Later that night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I sat up in bed, and I raised my hands, and the Lord healed me of that bulimia. Now, I don't know how much you know of that eating disorder, but it can destroy your teeth. Yep. can destroy your esophagus. You know, it can do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. But he healed me of that, and I thought about it later. No problem with my teeth or my esophagus. He took it away, and I always felt like the Lord did that physical manifestation of his spiritual, his forgiveness of me, because I would need it. I would need that assurance, me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it wasn't till years later, because of the unresolved issues I was telling you about grieving, something you feel responsible yeah. for, yeah. you know, and how can you grieve the unresolved issues, that um, many times, and we've had women ask us this, you know, why do I feel so miserable if I'm forgiven? It boils down to our faith. And our continued time with the Lord, I am forgiven because he has said I am forgiven. That's right. And, and so yep. you, that's my answer. It's like the Lord forgave me. I was still miserable, and I still had more growing and things to do. But um, as far as the forgiveness of those sins, they were covered. Someone is going to wonder, how do you go about forgiving yourself? My answer always is, you don't forgive yourself. Only God forgives. To assume to forgive yourself is to assume the prerogatives of Almighty God. I've heard that. You are not God. Mm -hmm. You don't need to forgive yourself. You need to accept his forgiveness. What those people are talking about is how do I learn to live with it? I did a terrible thing. I ran over my neighbor's dog. I feel terrible about it. How do I forgive? No, what you're saying is how do I experience some peace? Well, time and the forgiveness of God will bring that measure of peace to your life. But we don't want to encourage people to forgive themselves. That's God's job. Our job is to believe the forgiveness. So what's interesting is, after a time, you had children. Mm -hmm. So there are layers and layers of questions to ask you, and I think I'll try asking two at once. One is, how did you you process... Okay, the first question is, how did you give yourself permission to have this child this time, rather than abort? And the second one is, how did you process this whole experience? Now I'm, now I'm pregnant. And, I, okay, three questions. I might as well pile them on. Had to have felt some kind of guilt or ill feeling that here's a child growing inside you when two were not accorded or afforded that privilege. So first one, you decided to go through the pregnancy mm-hmm. this time. Mm-hmm. How about that? When I got pregnant, I'd had the two abortions. I have to put this in there. I got pregnant. When I got pregnant the next time, I lost that pregnancy, mm. and I, I was convinced it was... Uh, Punishment of God? My, I had ruined my uterus. I'd never be able to have children. Yeah. 
But when I finally did have my firstborn, I was terrified. In fact, I remember the first person I told, we were at the hospital, and I took him into the x-ray room where it was dark, and I told him I was pregnant. And um, she was just thrilled. She thought it was the best news ever. She didn't know about my history, you know, and it took me back. In fact, um, I had three different baby showers, and everybody was so happy. And everybody, nobody seemed to doubt, you know, that I would couldn't do it. And um, when I had my first baby, I absolutely fell in love with him. There, I know now, I understand the distancing. Sometimes you won't allow yourself to feel the enormous amount of love because mm-hmm. of the guilt, mm-hmm. because of what you've done. So a lot of times it's not uncommon to have a, a, a disconnect where you, you don't bond like you would ordinarily expect because there's still all this pain. Did, did you go and through And I did experience that. I did. And, um, but I, I did enjoy my children. After I had my firstborn and I realized I can do this, we decided we were going to have a second child, try to keep them close, and I lost that child. Oh. And that was very hard on me because he was a little further along and Again, I felt, was tempted yeah. with thinking, and I hadn't gone to my friends, you know, yet. Well, that conversation hadn't happened. No. So I want to ask you this. How, how long did those mind games go on? I, I had one, but that's all God is giving me. Now I'm being punished. Now, blah, blah, Well, you, blah. you play with it, and then you just, I, me, personally, I can't stay there, you know. But you do, um, it builds up. And that's and I had twins when I got pregnant. I had twins, and um, the twins were babies when everything hit the wall. You know, my marriage just train wreck. Everything was just out of control. And that's when I went to the friend who who um, was so good to me. I'm so glad she wasn't afraid to call sin a sin because she she made she the trajectory for the rest of my life. She had a direct impact. And then, of course, Antoinette, when I met Antoinette years later, and she made me thirsty for more, to do more research, you know, into the impact of abortion. Several questions to ask you. Yeah. The dad. Mm -hmm. What does the dad go through? The father of the aborted child. There are several different. Now, I'll speak for my husband, in which it falls under one of the categories men, one of the categories is men just want to support their wife, lover, you know, the mother of their child. They just want to support, and whatever she decides, they go along with it. In other words, they don't really put a lot of thought into it themselves. And that's what my husband did. He said, your choice, you decide. I'll. He, and the one thing he did tell me, it's not illegal. You know, he did say that. But and so he wasn't like, Diane, we can do this. You know, Diane, we can have this baby. Diane, you know. Oh, it was like, you decide and what you decide. And what was the reason my marriage, and this is so common, I had, I had terrible resentment for him. I mean, here I had a husband that was a godly man, wanted to serve the Lord, wanted to bring his children up, you know, serving the Lord, getting to know the Lord. And all of a sudden, everything about him repulsed me. I was just totally repulsed by this man that I love so much. And and I, as through the years and as we sort out, 
I wanted him to say no. I wanted him to protect me mm-hmm. and say, no, we can do this. He didn't know. And this is why it's so important to talk about this, to get a little bit derailed. This is why it's so important to talk about this issue. I had never been talked to about abortion. My husband had never, never been talked about the consequences of what can happen, the impact, you know, that goes on, you know, so much more than what we have time for. But, um, yeah, and then, of course, there's the guys that do pressure, and then there's the guys that um, are not told. Oh, yeah. And that's another group of, of gentlemen who have deep pain because they were not given a choice, you know. And a, a real struggle for them is if she has the baby, he has to financially take care of the baby, but he has no say in whether or not his child can be born. So that's a whole nother, you know, that's a layer of angst. Very, yeah. very hard. But in my case, it was, um, and he, bless his heart, he, he was clueless, just as I was. And we went to a marriage counselor once, and the marriage counselor told us that she didn't think our marriage could be saved. Oh, well. But she never took a history. Have you had a stillbirth? Has there been a miscarriage? Has there been an abortion? You know, things that can cause real issues in a relationship. Uh, one study, I think it was 12% of marriages last, not just in marriages, but couples, you know, who are involved in a... Survive an abortion. Uh-huh. 12%, one in eight, one in 8.5. They're, they're the relationship, whether it's marriage or just, yeah. you know, the mother and father and the baby because of the... So in other words, a, a, abortion doesn't just kill the child, Kills the relationship. It kills a family. Generational. It can have impact. Absolutely. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. These um, anti-abortion protesters. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm not asking you how many picket lines you've walked down, but <laughs> well, but you've you've encountered people who are anti-abortion. You, we've mentioned a couple who said unkind things, not knowing you you their friend had mm-hmm. had abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what's your encounters been like? What have your encounters been like? And, and how would you advise people who feel strongly anti-abortion, which I think is a, is a great way to feel, but how do you advise those people to, as to how to share those sentiments? So your, th- your experiences, how it impacted you, and how can people share their ideas in a way that's constructive and not destructive? Well... Okay, that's good. Help me stay focused. First one, you know, being called a murderer is not constructive. Right. You know, um, to give you an example, after I'd had my uh, first abortion, I don't think it was after the second one, there was a Christian radio station. On the radio station, there was this woman or this advertisement about women who'd had an abortion. If you need help, if you regret the decision, call this 1-800 number. So I called the 1-800 number. I even hid in my, our washroom to call. And nobody was in the house, but it was just just a you know hard thing. And I called this number, and she answered. And I told her about my stories. I told her about both abortions. And the first thing out of her mouth was, well, you know abortion is murder now, don't you? Oh, wow, really? Now, she might have been speaking truth. But there was absolutely no mercy. This was a helpline. This was a 1-800 helpline number. And I'll never forget that. And, and I hung up. And I, it's like, you've got to, 
if uh, we can have truth all day long, but if we don't have the love of Jesus, you know, we need to keep our mouth shut. So that's yeah, one that's right. thing Antoinette and I tell people. If you're not willing to get into the trenches, whatever the case is that this young lady's going through, don't just stand on the side of the trench and say, no, 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 you know, you'll go to hell. you got to get down in the trenches and prove to them that you do care. That's, that's, um. Very quickly. Yeah. Young lady comes to you. She says, I'm thinking of having an abortion. Got about 30 seconds. What do you say to her? You. Not, not what should somebody else say. What do you say? The young lady says, I'm thinking of having an abortion. What do you say? I would tell her that I don't think that's, I know that that's not the right decision. And if you'll let me, I can share with you why. A woman has had an Mm -hmm. abortion. Mm -hmm. And she comes to you and she says, I had an abortion. These were the circumstances. What do you say to her? There's hope. First and foremost, give them hope. And then let them tell their story. That's where the healing begins. When you let them tell their story, don't interrupt and say, oh, wow, or you did that. How could you ever? How could a woman ever do that to herself, her baby? You let her tell her story. And if you're not in a position that you can listen to a story without condemning, then you don't need to be the one doing that. It has been a blessing <laughs> to speak to you. And Praise I'm grateful you took your time and I wish you every blessing of God. I'm grateful for your journey, how it has resolved so positively, and that now you're allowing God to use your experiences to aid and help and assist and bless others. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you would like to contact Mafgear Ministries, I hope you will. Their contact information is on the screen, and I hope you'll reach out, and I'm confident that you or someone you know will be blessed and encouraged and assisted in great ways. With Diane Wagner, I'm John Bradshaw. Thanks for joining us. This has been our conversation. Mm